The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I'm not sure when my expiration date is, but I have one. And it's breathing down my neck with its warm exhale, reminding me that my time is short. I have but one life to inject my vaccine of goodness into this world, and I simply must spend it doing this kind of ministry, ennobling the poor. I want to bring nobility and dignity to those who feel like society suckers. I want to believe in them and help them succeed. I want to acknowledge my own poverty of spirit and allow that to sink into the soil of my soul. I want to yoke myself with the impoverished, feeling the weight of having nothing. This is what I want. Binding up the brokenhearted. I want to handle fragile hearts with care. I want to be a haven for the hurting and a bastion for the broken. I want to draw poison out of wounds and stay by their side as long as it takes for healing to occur. I want to breathe belief back into their jaded and jilted hearts. I want to see beyond the crooked smile to the cracked heart beneath. And then I want to pick up the pieces and put them back together by the grace of God. This is what I want. Freeing the captive. I want to reach through prison bars to touch the captive within. I want to break through the thick walls that people erect around their hearts. I want to sing freedom songs and pray freedom prayers and preach freedom messages and have freedom conversations because I want freedom to be the feeling that people have when they walk away from encounter with me. This is what I want, releasing the lost. I want to be a beacon in the night for those wandering in darkness. I want to cast a vision for the blind that brings sight to their hollow eyes. I want to be a seeing eye dog for those who have lost the will to want. I want to speak shafts of light into the dungeons where dreams are chained down. I want to unleash the paralyzed passion pent up in humanity, calling it out of hiding into the daylight. This is what I want. Comforting the mourner. I want to draw alongside the crestfallen, extending my arms as a refuge of refreshment. I want to collect tears and lift heads. I want to quell fears with the assurance of my friendship. I want to get on the ground with the fallen and shed tears with the crying and clear a path to the nearest smile. This is what I want. Beautifying the ugly. I want to see the beauty in the ghastly. I want to cultivate a buoyant heart that floats when everything else is sinking. I want to breathe beauty into hearts that feel like worthless wastes of time. I want to reintroduce people to their original glory that throbs just beneath the wreckage that hides the holy. This is what I want, gladdening the hopeless. I want to make people happy. I want them to experience the joy of being alive and to celebrate the smallest things that remind us of the preciousness of this life. I want to distract them from their pain by attracting them to their purpose. I want to remind them of the good and motivate them to give it a chance again. I want to find humor and disappointment and joy and suffering. And I want to smile at Satan and wish him farewell as I enter into life armed with joy. This is what I want. Praising the depressed. I want to listen until my ears bleed to the soul and soul in need of a centering friendship. I want to sing lullabies to mentally ill, rocking in their chair and staring at the air. 
I want to hold the hand of the disabled and peck the cheek of a widow with a kiss of kindness. I want to wink at the world with a yes in my eye, providing that gust of wind for those whose sails have been flapping in the breeze. This is what I want. And the Spirit of the Lord, He's all over that kind of life. This is the anointed life. This is the good news. This, my friends, is the gospel. Yeah, yeah, ain't that the truth? I was just sitting in a row, and he's like, is that you? I was like, yeah, that, that's me. That's, that's what I want. That's what I want for our church. Our church has always been an Isaiah 61 church. The Spirit of the Lord is on me to preach good news to the poor. He has anointed me to do that. But he's not just anointed me. The priesthood of the believers means he's anointed all of us to have that kind of presence in our world and is the world not dying for the anointed life to come into contact with that. How you doing tonight? I'm already sweating and I haven't even started preaching yet. I don't know if it's because the air condition's not working in this place or if because my heart's so hot, uh, it's starting to be a furnace inside of me. But I just want to be that kind of church. And I want to talk today about being a bold church. Christianity, it's been said, isn't about going to church. It's about being the church. That's what I've loved about the last couple of weeks is all week long, every day, this place is packed with people. I mean, there's the farmer's market going on. There's been the Swazi sale to raise money for Africa. There's been the mission trip with the students last week, just saturating this town with God. And uh, then love week this week. And we kind of got rained out. Some people just stayed out in the rain and we've got projects in the weeks to come. But just being the presence of God in this world, his hands, his feet, the incarnation of Jesus in this world, he's gone, but we're the body of Christ. We're the presence of Christ in this world to a world that needs to see him so bad. I remember when I was uh, younger in Sunday school. How many of you went to Sunday school when you were younger? Yeah, we got some church people in this room. If you haven't been to Sunday school, you're lucky um, because most of us, it was torture um, and our, our parents drug us there and we learned some things, but let me tell you, we, we, were, uh, we were not like in Sunday school, like uh, it, it had the word school in it. Probably that was the worst uh, marketing tool of the church ever to put school in that is kids like, like, yeah, I have an allergic reaction to that already and I don't even know what you're gonna say. But in Sunday school, they, they taught us this little jingle and it was about the church, and you put your fingers together like this. You remember that, where it said, this is the church, this is the steeple, open the doors and see all the people, right? And so I was teaching my girls that, and then it occurred to me that I don't actually believe that. And I've been preaching to the church the opposite since I've been here. And some of you already know what I'm gonna say, but the church is not the building with a steeple. And so that night with my daughters, I I was like, this is how it goes. This is the church. This is the steeple. Open the doors, and there's all the church. And it didn't rhyme, but at least it's theologically correct, right? And I was thinking the next day, what do do people in the world think the church is? So I made up a couple more jingles, because this is what I do in my free time during the week when I'm not preaching. Uh, I made up a couple other jingles. This is the building. Here is the mezzanine. Open the doors and meet all the drama queens. How many have been a part of that kind of church before? And don't clap, I'm talking about you. Um, the next one is, this is a steeple on a makeshift pole barn where inside the people could not give a darn. That's how the world kind of views us. See, down through the years, we've heard so many phrases that reinforce the church as a place instead of people. I'm going to church today. What church do you attend? We have a great worship at our church, and that was great worship tonight, don't get me wrong. I left church and went home. If we keep growing, we'll have to build a bigger church. And, but these are more accurate phrases that evidence a belief that the church is people. I love being with my church. The church sang with all her heart tonight, right? I love my church's passion. I'm meeting my church down at the food mobile today or at the Love Week project. I love seeing my church in the community. I love being a part of the church. The church is people. And I remember teaching my girls the next night some different lyrics to that jingle, and it was this. This is a building with a fancy white perch. Inside or outside, the peeps are the church. 
So I wanted my daughters, and they were at the time like six and eight and ten. Because I love bedtime. I don't know if you know that bedtime is the place where you cast vision to your kids. And I don't always feel like I want to cast vision. I just want them to go to bed so that I can have some free time and watch my favorite Netflix show. But I'm telling you, vision casting happens at the bedside of your kids. Christianity isn't about going to church. It's about being the church. And I wanted to talk about becoming and being a bold church. It's been said fortune favors the bold, but I think the kingdom favors the bold. I think life favors the bold. But I know the kingdom favors the bold throughout the Bible. It was a bunch of ordinary people who God said, be bold, don't be discouraged, don't be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I know you don't think you can do it, but with me you can do it. So we're going to look at Acts. We've been in Acts the last several weeks. I've been reading through it. And my daughter said uh, to me this last week, you're preaching again, Dad? Yeah, I'm preaching again. They're like, are you in the book of Acts? Yeah, I'm in the book of Acts. They're like, we love when you're in the book of Acts. You always seem way more excited and on fire when you're talking about Acts. And I'm like, I am. Acts is why I got into ministry. It was the thing that showed me the church didn't have to be like the church I grew up in. That the original church had like a power and passion. It pulsated with God's spirit moving ordinary people to do extraordinary things. So I get jacked up about Acts. Acts 20, if you have your Bibles, verse 16 and 18. Again, I wasn't going to start here, but as I was looking at the context, I was just awestruck by this verse. And maybe after this last year and a half is why it hit me so deeply. Paul had decided to set sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia. Aren't you glad you can sail past things and have God's permission? He was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to the Ephesian elders in that church, and when they arrived, he said to them, now I want to just stop there. I was struck by the word decided. In order to be a bold church, people have to make decisions. And it is hard to make decisions. Can I get some sort of an amen? In your house, at your job, everybody's waiting for somebody else to make the decision because they don't want to be left holding the bag if the decision was wrong. And you know why decisions are hard? Actually, the Greek word for decision is krino here, and it means to separate. It means to cut, to pull apart. And when you make a decision, you watch people get pulled apart. You don't please everybody when you make a decision. Decisions are hard. We're way more into procrastination, hoping somebody else will make the decision or the decision eventually be made for us. I watched this last year when churches were doing different things. Every church was calling up to see what we were going to do so they could draft behind us so that if it didn't work, they could blame us. I remember calling Ada Bible and I'm calling all these big mother churches like, please tell us what you're doing. We don't know what we're doing. What are you doing? And finally, Impact had to make a decision about what we're doing and I noticed everybody else got on board with what we're doing so they could blame us. They're the super spreaders. It started with them, right? Decisions were hard this year, weren't they? Decisions tore people apart this year. That's why nobody wants to voice decisions they're making in their family right now about how they're raising their kids because they don't want other people to feel bad. But decisions have to be made. I don't care how afraid you are of failure and regret and disappointment and embarrassment or rejection. A bold church makes decisions and lets the chips fall where they may. It's easy when the decision is made for you to just kind of go forward with it. In fact, it was interesting, four chapters earlier in the book of Acts, in Acts 16, he was going to go to the province of Asia, and it says this, now when they had gone through uh, Pergia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. He stopped them. 
He prevented it. He forbade them going to there. I'd love if that happened. Every time I was going to make a decision, the Spirit's like, ah! well, that made it easy. Well, which way am I going to go? Go over here. But sometimes Paul had to decide. The Spirit didn't decide what he would not wouldn't do. Paul had to use his own heart and his own brain and get consensus with people and make the hard call about what to do and not to do. I've noticed the bold churches, they make decisions about where they're going and where they're not going. And they're not afraid of who's going to come or who's going to go because they're seeking to please God's impulses, not people's, you know, sort of carnal urges. Decisions are the hinges of destiny. And it's hard to make decisions because you have to parse nuances. It says here in Acts 20, 16, he decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia. For he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem. That's tough. Do you know what to sail past in life? Especially when you love Ephesus, but they're in the province of Asia. And you're wondering if you'll ever get to your goal, which is Jerusalem. So you have to make a hard decision of what to say, sail past. I, I want to give you permission tonight to say no. We're, we're in a world that we barely pass anything up when there's an opportunity if we don't have something else going on. Or if we have something going on, we figure out a way to bump them back to back so that we're late to one every time we get to the thing because we're so busy. And I think Satan is not working on our destruction. He's just content with our distraction. Getting us to say no to lesser things instead of saying yes to the best things. And he knows that if he didn't sail past Ephesus, that he, would he wanted to avoid spending time in the province of Asia. And I have this feeling is, if I get to the province of Asia and I get there, I think I'm going to be in a bog. I'm never going to get out of there. So I'm making a decision to sail right past you and to go here to Miletus. And then I'm going to ask you to come to me. Those are my terms. This is like parsing the nuances of life and saying it's hard to make decisions, but I think we need to know what we're going to sail past as a church and what port we're going to pull into and what ports we're going to actually bypass. And that doesn't please everyone in this church because you all have an angle and you all have an agenda. You know what fits your little boxes and checks your little boxes and sometimes we check them and sometimes we don't. But we have a mission 18 years ago that we're gonna spread the gospel, we're gonna plant churches, we're reaching unindeed church people and that's what we're about. And we're not leaving that. We're not turning into a place where we're just trying to get more people and get a bunch of Christians and fill this building. I'd rather not fill this building and stay on mission than fill this building and deviate from mission. And sometimes you gotta make a hard decision. Some of, some of you here, every time somebody invites you to do something, you feel like you have to have something else to do in order to say no. I've, I've done this a couple of times and it wigs people out. They're like, on Thursday night, can you come over to our house? I'm like, no. Well, what are you doing? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. And what you think they're thinking is nothing's better than us. And it's like, it is. I love you. He loved the people in Ephesus. That's why he sent for them and the elders came. He just knew if I get there, I'm not getting out of the province of Asia because it isn't just you, it's what you're near. It's okay for you and your family to say, as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord and determine what that means and doesn't mean and to do it whether people like it or not. Homes need to start making decisions. Dads start making decisions. Indecisiveness is not an option. Be bold, grow a pair, and make decisions. Amen. Wives, make decisions. Don't let your kids do anything and everything. Well, there's all these sports and they're free. Who cares? Pick two. Amen. Pick two. Give them opportunities and then just start paring it down. Don't say yes to everything. You'll destroy everything in your life. Yeah. Sail past things. Avoidance is a good thing. 
There is biblical avoidance in this passage that isn't up on that screen right now, but prophetically, I'm putting it back up on that screen. See how I did that? He wanted to avoid spending time. Do you know that nothing is more important? You have no more important possession or asset in your life than time. You only get so much time. You can make more money. You can make more friends. You can have more relationships. But time, it's gone. You spend it rather than invest it. You will live a life that you will regret. It's okay to avoid. I just read a book. This one author called it Benevolent Detachment to know what people to stop pay, paying attention to and spending time with because you can tell you're casting your pearls to the swine and you're feeding what's sacred to the dogs. I didn't say it. Jesus said that. Get away from that. You get in that city, they don't welcome you. Shake the dust off your feet. Go to another city. These are the hard words of Jesus. Don't just keep pouring into people. If it's falling on soil that doesn't welcome your message, move on to somebody that'll actually receive it so that your life can make a difference and you're not living in futility. Can I get an Amen. You can be bold, but you got to make decisions. And people won't like you, but you'll live a consequential life. Goes on. Well, before that, I, I love this little thing, and this was cute. We must sail past certain ports in order to choose the best port. The important. That's the best port to get in. And some of you are successful at things that aren't important. Start finding out what is important. And in order to have importance, you have to have priorities. And the word prior is in priority. So you have to think prior before something happens, what you're gonna do in order to live out your values and what's important to you. Or you'll just kind of be blown by the wind. Pull into the port of important and sail past every other one. Jesus did this. Luke 13, it says this. At that very hour, some Pharisees came to Jesus and told him, leave this place and get away because Herod wants to kill you. Seems like a no-brainer, but Jesus replied, you go to tell that fox, look. He just called Herod fox. I will keep driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow and on the third day, I'll reach my what? He had a goal. Nevertheless, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day. You got to do this. You need to leave here. You need to come over here. You go tell that fox, look, I got goals. And so I'm going to be here today and tomorrow and the next day. I'm going to keep going. I think people are dying for people to stand for something rather than fall for everything, right? Just like, tell me where you're at. I may disagree, but I at least got to like applaud the boldness because we are in just a, an environment full of chickens and vultures. Goes on, Acts 20, 18 to 19. I'm not making it through this message. I can already tell right now. You know how I lived, Paul said to the Ephesian elders, the whole time I was with you from the first time I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. I just saw in here four ways that we want to live and lead at impact. First, with transparency. You know how I lived. I was an open book in front of you. You were eyewitnesses of it. And I served with great humility. So we want to live with transparency and humility and vulnerability. I served even with tears. You watched the things that moved me to tears. You saw my heart for you. And with resiliency, because the other three don't mean anything if you don't stand in the midst of severe testing and when there's opponents. And we need less pastors that are just going out into ministry, just trying to be nice, gentle shepherds, and we need pastors to be leaders. And we need leaders to be leaders. In order to be leaders, you gotta have resiliency to live with all the other things. And those are the things that pastors have been known for most of the, the time. And they can't stand in the midst of severe testing with opponents coming after them and just stand in the face of it and say, I've been in the midst, in the midst, right in the thick of it, right in the fat middle of opposition. 
And you've seen how I've lived with all those other things and you've seen me stand in the midst of opposition. That's the leadership I wanna produce and induce in this place, in every home and household in this community. Goes on, Acts 20, 20 through 21 says, you also know, I haven't hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught publicly and from house to house. I've declared both to the Jews and Greeks, they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It seemed like a great opportunity to talk about the philosophy of preaching here at Impact. First thing, we seek to preach God's word without hesitancy or apology. If it's in God's word, I don't second guess what I preach. And this is really important because when you preach without hesitancy and apology with authority, I think the mix of preaching with humility and vulnerability and transparency, but also with authority. Yes. It isn't, I'm just hesitant. I'm, I'm a little bashful to say this to you, but don't send me any hate mail. And I don't care. Send me hate mail. <laughs> We're going to preach this and go through verse by verse, what's next in the text. And I'm like, God said it. We believe it. That settles it. We seek to preach sermons, secondly, that are helpful and theological. I love that. We have preached anything that would be helpful to you. What's practical? What's useful? So there's some here that have gone to all kinds of churches and it's deep and it's theological. It's so theological, you don't even know what they're saying, but that's how you know it's good preaching. That's not the kind of preaching we want around here. We want you to know what we're talking about. And if we're just gonna use flowery big words and me be pedantic up here and all soup, you know, just preaching stuff that makes me feel good and look good, and he's way awesome, and you don't go home with something helpful and useful and practical, I didn't do my job. Third, we preach so the message hits home and then gets home. I want to I preach publicly so it hits home and I want it to get home. It's got to be house to house and publicly in this place. It's not good enough for it to stay here and for our services to be awesome. You got to come see the services. It's like, no, you got to come to my house because we preach there too. You know what I want? I don't want to be the only one preaching in this church. I want moms and dads to be preaching in this church because I want it to get to the house for it to hit, hit it and just get it home. Fourth, we preach messages both to the churched and the unchurched, both to the Jews and the Greeks. And at that time, it was one's got it and one doesn't have it. And both of them thought the other one didn't have it. The Greeks are like, well, the Jews don't believe Jesus resurrected from the dead. And the Jews were like, some of them were like, the Greeks don't get it because they're not Hebrews. They're not one of us. He preached to both of them. And in this church, we care about the people that don't know Christ and the people that know Christ. So when we preach here, you're going to notice we're trying to communicate a message that everybody, whether you know Christ or don't know Christ, you can connect to and be like, hmm, that challenged me. And we primarily are called to reach the unindeed churched. We are. We want them to feel like, man, that's a place where they're raw, they're real, the content's gritty, it's gutsy, it hits me in the splankna, which is down here. I get it. And that means some of you, it's, the preaching's just not deep enough. I want to go through and want it to be expositional or exegetical. If you even know those words, this may not be the church for you. Because we want to preach to people that don't know those words and couldn't give a rat's high end about them. And then we seek to preach repentance, a turning followed by faith. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of times I've noticed I preach faith that is followed by repentance. We want to preach, you've got to turn. You've got to transform. You've got to leave the ways of yourself and your flesh and the world and turn to faith in Jesus Christ. 
We are not teaching just accept him as Savior, but don't accept him as Lord. We want you to know he becomes the master and Lord of your life, not just the Savior of your soul, so you can have fire insurance someday and go to heaven. We want you to go to heaven, but we want you to bring heaven to earth. And in order to bring heaven to earth, he's got to become the Lord of your life and you follow his leadership no matter what. In order to do that, you got to be going this way, repent and say, I'm not doing it my way anymore, the world's way anymore. I'm crucifying the flesh. No more sin for me. I'm gonna, and when I do sin, I'm going to apologize because I want a relationship with Jesus. If there is no repentance, don't expect your life to change and experience any revival or restoration in your marriage. You will just have faith that you're going to heaven someday, but your life will not change. We preach repentance. And exegetically and expositorily, that just came out of Acts 20. That's interesting. I think my nose got, got an order over here. Hang on. Oh, yeah. Here it is. That hasn't happened in a long time. That's my greatest nightmare as a pastor. I wake up in a cold sweat sometimes thinking that will happen. Yeah. This house-to-house thing's a big deal. Uh, I was reading Acts 2020. It's, called, it's been called in the church the uh, 2020 vision of the church. Right? 2020 vision in the church is it's house-to-house not just like public. And um, the church is supposed to make it home. That's why we like life groups and you having people over. It's got to get in your homes. And we call it often around here, the church has left the building. And ironically, I was reading Acts, house to house, this concept was a part of Paul's life at when he was named Saul before his conversion. He had house-to-house ministry as well. In Acts 8.3, it said, But Saul began to destroy the church. Going, how? From house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prisons. He hated the church. He killed Christians before he built the church. And what I think is ironic is he used something in his life that was to destroy the church, and he changed the plan and was like, I know about house-to-house ministry I used to do that before I came to know Jesus. Do you know how many things in your life that are things that you did before you knew Jesus and God doesn't want that to go out the window? He just wants to change the purpose of it. Don't leave some of the gifts and the passions that you have. Just allow God to redeem those things so that you don't destroy the church, but now you build the church. Acts 20, 22, 23 now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. I love that because he's like, just in case I forgot to mention this, I'm going to cast the vision again. I'm going to Jerusalem. You aren't going to get me to stay here. I know you love me and I love you, but I'm about church multiplication. And sometimes you got to leave what you love in order for the church to grow. So I'm going to Jerusalem. I just wanted you to remember that. Not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me prisons and hardships are facing me, compelled by the Spirit of God. This comes from the Greek words duonuma, which means bound in spirit. I am held hostage to God. I am a slave to God. I'm a prisoner to his mission. I'm bound by the Spirit of God to do this. And I love this. I don't know what's going to happen to me. I only know that I'm going to face difficulties and hardships and persecution and imprisonment. That a church that's bold goes before it knows everything. If you want to like be a person who makes a splash in the kingdom of God, you cannot wait for certitude and you cannot wait for everything to line up. It'll be too late. The move of God will be over. Sometimes he calls you to go before you know. You've done enough to know I'm going to Jerusalem. I don't know what's going to happen to me there. I just am going to let you know. It is okay as a leader to say, I'm doing this because I'm compelled by God's spirit, but I don't know everything, and you don't know everything either. Let's not lie. But what I do know is that it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. 
I, I saw this quote a while back by Hans Kung. It said this, a church which pitches its tents without constantly looking for new horizons, which does not continually strike camp as being untrue to its calling. We must play down our longing for certainty, accept what is risky, and live by improvisation and experiment. I love that. Because we used to do that big time in the beginning, and rigor mortis can set in in the body of Christ, and we stop living out risk and faith and boldness because we want certainty and security. It's not gonna happen here. I know that because I am kept up at night sometimes by making decisions to do things that I am scared to death about what could happen. Acts 20, 24, my ministry life verse. However, I know prison hardships are gonna face me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim, there's the goal, right, is to finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel or good news of God's grace. We love God's grace, the gospel of God's grace. But how many of you could say that you consider your life as worth nothing to you compared to the compelling, all-consuming mission of what God wants to do by spreading his word and completing the task and completing the race he's given you of what's heavenward in Christ Jesus. I know that's hard for me. I don't necessarily think it's like, I don't like myself, I don't care about myself, I don't care about this word. Quite the contrary. In fact, some people have used the phrase, like, they're so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. And C.S. Lewis said this way, only the people that are heavenly minded are of any earthly good. It's only with that in view that causes you to come back down here and make a difference down here in something that lasts for eternity. So it's like I consider my life worth nothing to me is essentially for me saying I consider Jesus' life to be everything to me. Everything to me. Philippians 3, he said this, I consider all things lost compared to the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I consider it as rubbish or dung compared to knowing him. I want to know Christ. My life is worth nothing to me. His life is worth everything to me. And everything I do is leveraged on that. I lean into that. I fold my life into his calling for my life. I was thinking the other day of Francis Chance. Chan's uh, sort of illustration, the rope illustration, and you have this rope, and all of us are living for this little part of our lives, which is down here temporarily on earth. It's like, what can I do? What can I accumulate? My house, my job, my promotion, we obsess, we care what people think, we're living scared, everything is about this life, but the more you pull out and say, I'm gonna live forever, and you're living your whole life for this little pocket, this short little life, instead of like, what about eternity? You're gonna just let everything about eternity get swallowed up here? And some people are like, man, ever since your dad passed away, you've just been different. Even when you came back and you just gave an announcement for communion, you were up there preaching and you're just going crazy. And I'm like, that is true, I don't know what's happened. And then it hit me, my dad died. His life's over. He spent it. He invested it. It's done. I watched him take his last breath. It went something like this. <gasps> Gone. I'm going to die. You're going to die. I don't care how young you are here. You're going to die, and you're going to die before you knew you even lived. It's gonna go so fast. I know you think this world is your oyster, but I'm telling you, this world has nothing to offer you. Do not spend your life getting this world's approval, accumulating everything in this world. It's so temporary, it's so superficial. Live for God, you're gonna die someday, and the rest of this white rope is what it's all about. Can you, after you've lived, said, I consider my life worth nothing to you once I found out about that. I consider your life worth everything to me. So I lived making you, exalting you higher than everything else in my life. You are the king of my home, the king of my heart, the king of my marriage. So that when I lived out eternity, I thought, man, that one short little hand breadth of a life, I lived it well and I was good and I did it well as a servant of God. Don't waste your life. 
The bold church knows that. And they're like, man, I don't care about pleasing everybody and making sure everybody's happy. And fears, yes, they come and go, but I'm going to look at my fear in the eye and say, go to hell. You aren't going to stop me from living a life that God wants me to live. I make it my aim to finish my task and finish my race. And I want people to know about God's grace more than anything. He goes on and he starts getting a little more negative. He says, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone preaching, the kingdom will ever see me again. So once I get on that ship to go to Jerusalem, like it's over, you're not gonna see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today, I'm innocent of the blood of any of you. This is a leader talking. For I've not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Now let me just preach to myself. And in some senses, your blood is on my hands. And in order for me to say your blood is not on my hands, I need to make sure I'm preaching the whole counsel of God. Because I gotta stand before God someday and give an account. It says in Hebrews 13, no pastor I've ever heard has preached this message because it's a conflict of interest. Because it says, follow your leaders. And that seems weird for the leader to say, have confidence in me. But listen to this, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Oh, I like that. Go on, Jason. Because, why? Because they keep watch over your souls, it says in one passage, is those who must give an account for you. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. There's some stuff in there for me, and there's some stuff in there for you. You know what I'm hearing for me? Make sure you don't hesitate to preach the whole counsel of God to those people, because you're going to stand before me as one who must give an account for the souls of the people who sat underneath your voice and your leadership. And I'll let you hear what you need to hear in that, which is follow leadership. We're not in a world that is anything other than suspicious of leadership. But if you make my job a joy, you actually benefit. The most selfish thing you could do is make my job a joy because it would be a benefit of you, for you to me to show up with joy, overflowing, cup overflowing, rather than like, thanks for gutting me like and field dressing me like a deer. I come to you now as a carcass, sharing a message again this week. You don't want that, Pastor. You don't want those leaders. And this doesn't mean there's no accountability and leaders can do whatever they want and it's a power play where leaders just use that in a way that's spiritual abuse. We have leadership structures around here to make sure that I am accountable to leaders to lead biblically. But I gotta give an account so that your blood's not on my hands. So I don't look at the one with eyes of fire and he looks at me like, why did you preach such user-friendly, easy, shallow messages so as to not offend anyone? Why didn't you tell him about hell? Why didn't you tell him about heaven? Why didn't you tell him what life really meant? I know, I know the world is like, well, that's hard to hear. Step on toes, bro. Haven't hesitated to proclaim the whole will of God. No apology, not the partial will of God, not the easy will of God or the popular will of God or the comfortable will of God or the convenient will of God or the expedient will of God or the politically correct will of God. That's all over the place. The whole counsel of God, the whole will of God. See, the church's end game is different than the American dream. The American dream is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But the kingdom dream is life, liberty, and the pursuit of holiness. This is where we deviate. Not here for your happiness. I'm here for your holiness. And I believe when you follow God, that you will be more fulfilled, more satisfied than even the most superficially happy people out there. goes on in Acts 20, keep watch over yourselves, Jason, and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer, a bishop. Be shepherds of the church of God because eh, he bought it with his own blood. 
I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. That's just crazy scary to me. And in the last year and a half, man, I've, it's gone savage. Whew. It's never been more savage in ministry than this last year. Blood will, you know, there will be blood, right? Blood is on the floor. It's been a bloodbath this year in your life and in my life. And savage wolves have come in. And they don't want to spare the flock at all. And I want you to know another part of my calling is to be a shepherd that's watching the flock. I call them the sheeple, right? And I'm watching out and I'm making sure when people come in here with different ideologies and philosophies and they're starting to spread things around and they come without, I'm here to protect the flock. And I'm okay using the staff and the rod. I don't mind just beating some people out of this place. I've kicked people out of this church. I want you to know that. You don't know about it because we believe in the quarantine, not the guillotine. It's not like I'm bringing them up or putting them on Facebook. But there's been people here that have been rabble rousers and people that are busybodies and they're coming in to destroy you. And we get on that and we offer them grace. But if they're repeat offenders, they're gone. Because a bold church does that. Or the church just gets eaten alive. And there might be some wolves in here tonight. I want you to know you came to the wrong church because there's shepherds here that care about this place and you ain't gonna be here for long without getting confronted. It goes on, it said, this is even the most painful one. Even from your own number, men will arise, distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard, everybody. Remember, for three years, I've not stopped warning you every night and day with tears. There's the humility, vulnerability, and transparency. I'm warning you, but I'm telling you, even from within, people change midstream. And I've been chasing all kinds of people around that are from among us and they distort the truth. This is the hardest thing when they're on the inside because they know enough about the truth to use that, to confuse people. And they distort the truth and draw you away to themselves, not to Christ. And those same people, we got to keep watch over in order for our church to be bold and beautiful, the bride of Christ she's supposed to be, we have to be aware that happens on the inside and the outside. It's way more people, you know, painful when it's crossfire, it's friendly fire, and it's false brothers and sisters on the inside. Man, I, it, one thing my, my coach every month, I talked to a, a coach for pastoring, and he said, this last year has weeded out the pretenders the consumers, and the rebels. I'm like, yeah. Man, is it ever. The last verse I want to share. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Leaders don't ask other people to do things that they're not willing to do themselves. They're using their hands. They're out there too. They're out there doing love week as well, Right? We work hard to help the weak. That's the best thing to work hard at. We're not here to serve the strong and just save the strong. We're here to help the weak, and we're all weak. Remembering Jesus' words, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It just, it's crazy because that was never in the Gospels. It's really the only quote in the Bible that Jesus never said in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, but Paul had heard about. And it's the only red letter verse in the Bible that wasn't a part of the Gospels. It's more blessed to give than to receive. What would he say to the church? Why is he saying this to the church? It's more blessed to give than to take. It's more blessed to upload into a body than download from the body. It's more blessed to serve the body than to siphon from the body. We're not here to be takers. We're here to be makers. We're not here to be critics. We're here to be creators. We are here to give, not to get. We are not a consumer church. We are not a sideline church, a spectator church. We show up and we show up. God, I want to show up and offer up my life as a living sacrifice when I go to church. I'm not going to church to sit down to kind of consume it. He actually says in 2 Thessalonians, I think it's chapter 3, the person who doesn't work doesn't eat. You don't work, you don't eat. This is in the Bible. Means you don't just keep eating the stuff. You got to come and you got to foot the bill a little bit. You don't just keep going to dinner and being like, oh, are they going to pay for the bill? Oh, they paid for the bill again. 
If you go out to eat and you're waiting for the other person to pay the bill, that's called pirating. (laughs) We don't want pirates in this church. We want people to follow Jesus and say, it is the blessed life to give, not to receive. In this church, we help, we serve, we give, and we work hard because we believe it's more blessed to give and to receive. Man, the spirit favors the bold. We wanna be a bold church. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you that we can just go through verse by verse and just, just hear you speaking to us from a document that's a couple thousand years old. And I pray, God, that you would make our families bold, our marriages bold, in a world that will oppose at times and will disagree at times. And with people even in the church that will disagree with us and our values and our standards, God, give us strength to stand. With humility, with vulnerability, with transparency, yes, but with authority and resiliency. Because we want our lives to be worth something for eternity. So as we leave this place, I hope that it will get home that it will hit home, yes, but that it will get home and start changing our lives that as we make decisions that are hard about what to sail past and what to avoid spending time doing so that we can get to our Jerusalem, that we will feel you fill up our sails and give us the strength to make the hard call, to make choices that may not be popular in order to make sure we're doing important things with our life. I love these people with all my heart. And I want to serve them in a way that prepares them to live well so they don't stand before you someday and be like, nobody ever told me that. It's like, what church did you go to? Gosh, they'll stand and be like, I knew this was coming. I knew this was coming and I lived my life in full view of eternity. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear. Well done, good and bold servant. Yeah, we lift you up as we spend time together just getting to know each other, meeting new people. May that fellowship just bind us together as a band of Christ followers living for your glory. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming tonight. Make sure you stick after for some good chili dogs.